Let me begin with prayer first. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that you speak to us um, in many ways uh, through creation, through people, through your word, God. And uh, I pray that you would speak to us today. Um, I pray that this would be more than just hearing about someone's life, but it would be life-giving to us as well. So we give this time to you, and uh, we ask that you work here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, Rich Mullins was a musician. He was a singer, songwriter. He uh, was popular um, in the 80s and 90s. And he was, he's one of the biggest influences in my own life. Um, and uh, I, I started listening to his music when I was in junior high, when I was like 13 years old. And uh, he, he died in 1997. Um, and after that, kind of like I became even more interested in his work. So uh, I kind of just drank in everything that he had to say and, and the, the songs he read. Um, he had a huge impact on many people. Um, let me read you uh, someone's kind of tri- uh, just uh, th- this is a poet. Her name's Lynn Prescott. And this is what she writes about Rich Mullins. He was interested in gays and straights, whores and cowboys, alcoholics and people who were broken. Broken, broken. He was interested in rainbow people and Franciscan vows. He had an appetite for sin, but a voracious appetite for God. Action was his middle name. He had a short attention span and bored readily and quickly. In our day, he would best be compared to a medieval troubadour slash poet. He was largely a medievalist and not a renaissance man. He was a poet, pure and simple, and as changing as the tides. He had many passions, and the one ones he clung to most fiercely were his love for Na- Native Americans, his love of Ireland and of children, his love of ragamuffins and of music, and lastly but not leastly, his passion that fired all other passions, his love for Jesus. Even dead and in his grave, Rich has helped me rediscover a lot of the pieces that I had lost. He helped me reclaim myself in a way that no human has ever done. Uh, so kind of to give you a sense of how much of an impact he had on uh, the people around him and people that listened to him. So what we're going to do today is we are going to uh, just briefly go over his life, some of the experiences that shaped who he was. Um, we're going to read some of his quotes. He wrote a lot. He's, he gave a lot of interviews and we'll listen to his music. So that will bring us to uh, 10.45-ish. So let's spend a few minutes going over his uh, life first. So he was born in Indiana on a farm. And this was uh, the Midwest. Um, he had, uh, I think, four other siblings. And of all his siblings, he was the least uh, suited for farm life. So he, uh, when he would try to help out on the farm, he would just destroy things. He could never do things right. And his father, being a very manly, manly f- farm person guy, he um, he was always really disappointed in Rich. He um, he would uh, I'm not sure if verbally abusive is the right word, but he would not treat his son well, and this affected him for the rest of his life. For his entire life, he had uh, issues with his father. He never felt love or acceptance from his father, and um, he. It, it took him a long time to come to peace with his relationship with his father. But this was uh, the beginning of how he, uh, I, I think it set the stage for how he interacted with people. 
because he was very emotionally needy. He would demand things of his friends that no one could ever provide. Um, and maybe he was searching for something that he was, that his father should have provided. But, um, so that, that was his relationship with his father. He had a good relationship with his mother. Um, he was also a musical prodigy. So his, he had an older sister who was, uh, 10 years old and she was playing, uh, some, some tune on the piano and she was practicing it for weeks and weeks and she couldn't get it right. And then one day the mother heard and that she was in the kitchen and she heard this piece being played perfectly and she was walking out and she's, she was, as she was walking out, she was saying, Oh, you like, you got it. And she looks and she sees that it's actually four year old Rich Mullins playing what his 10 year old sister could not play. And he learned it just by listening to, uh, listening to her play. So he was a musical prodigy and over the years he learned to play a ton of different instruments. Um, so this is a gift that stayed with him. He developed this gift. He went to college and he went to a, uh, I forget the name of the, Cincinnati Bible College, I believe it was. He um, made friends there. He played music. He was in a band called Zion. And it was also here that he met his girlfriend. And his girlfriend is someone that uh, he's, of course, totally in love with. But it was not uh, – they, they actually got engaged. Um, but she broke it off. And this really tore him up. This whole this whole relationship lasted ten years, and finally, after ten years, um, they were just completely cut off. But I I can imagine if you've been with someone for ten years and um, you had the engagement broken off, that's pretty heartbreaking. Um, he finally got to a point where he was at peace with that, but um, again, it, it just kind of reinforced the fact that the relationships that he had could not he couldn't rely on them to give him the satisfaction or the peace or even the fulfillment that he wanted in life. And uh, we'll actually listen to a song that touches on that. Um, In uh, 1981, this was when he was still uh, uh, late in his college life. He, he, uh, he wrote some songs and some record producers, they, they heard the songs and they were like, Oh, we want to sign this guy. So they call him up and he just goes, "Uh, I'm not interested. And th- th- this was these were major labels asking him if they would like if he would like to join the label, and he just said uh, not interested, no thanks. But uh, his friends pushed him toward it, and eventually he had some songs recorded by Amy Grant. His uh, the first song was "Sing Your Praise to the Lord," uh, and this is something that um, became a hit, and this kind of put him on the radar. Um, he continued on, and in the mid-80s, he released his first record. He released a record in 86, 87, and 1988 as well. And in 1988, there was a song on this his record called Awesome God. And you have probably sung this song in church before. Have you guys ever? Um, Our God is an awesome God. He, this was this um, this song blew up. It was one of the biggest hits of uh, not only the year, but churches picked it up and you could hardly go to any evangelical church without hearing this song over and over and over. It's a good song. The chorus is, uh, I, I think, instantly recognizable, but then he became really popular at this point, and he went on tours, And um, but he, he never fit the... He was in the Christian music industry. He never fit the Christian music industry mold, and um, there's... 
he would sometimes he he told stories of how um he went to a he went to a he played a concert in California and he noticed that people weren't really paying attention or engaging so he stopped the concert and he said you know what we're all wasting our time here because why are you guys here and why am I here I'm just wasting my time stop the concert and he just walked out uh, he did that mo- several times there were other times he just didn't feel like it so he'd walk out. Um, this is not something that you do if you want to be a successful musician. You just go through the motions at least. This is not something that he did. Um, he, he, uh, even, even in, um, when he was around other Christian musicians, he never felt really comfortable. There were, there are stories of him where, um, a limousine, there was a limousine that was sent to pick him up and he just didn't want to go into a limousine. He said, I'd rather just take the truck with my friends. So um, he didn't do that. There was another story of him where he was at uh, the Dove Award show. Um, it, it's kind of the, the, a big deal. And he was at one of these fancy dinners and someone noticed that there was kind of a dirty looking guy um, that relieved one of the servers. He donned the hat and the apron. He started serving food to all these uh, well-known musicians and uh, and singers and it turned out to be Rich Mullins because he was not comfortable being around all these other people um, eating their fancy food. So he decided, I'm going to be a server today. Uh, lots of stories like this. Just a very uh, unique person. Um, but he he wrote all these hit songs, so of course people wanted to listen to him. And I, and I think that he deservedly so... D- received all this all this acclaim and um if you lift if you've listened to his songs before you'll notice that they're not like songs that were around during that time and um i've been listening to his songs all week in preparation of today and um even today no one writes songs like he does um it doesn't sound like music that fits in anywhere um i think there's a certain transcendence to his music and uh, I'm super excited to play some of his songs for you. So um, so he wrote a bunch of really great songs. In the early 90s, he read a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. H- have any of you guys ever heard of this? The Ragamuffin Gospel. There's a, yeah, it's a, it was actually a book written by a guy named Brennan Manning. And the story is that he was rich mullins was in a jeep um and he was with his friend his name's his friend's name was beaker and they were they traveled together they they toured as musicians together and they usually would just um they like to practice silence in the car so they would just drive in silence but one day beaker pulled out a tape and he said hey do you mind if we listen to this and rich goes well what is it Uh, it's uh, and he said it's preaching and he said uh i don't like listening to preaching um, he grew up in the church, so I, maybe he's heard enough sermons. But um, he told, he said, uh, I don't want to listen to it. And Beaker said, just give it a shot. Um, he put the tape and started playing it. And within five minutes, he pulled the Jeep over and he went to the side of the road and started bawling his eyes out. Because he says this was the first time he heard... Who was crying? Beaker or Rich Mullins? I'm sorry, Rich Mullins was crying. Uh, Beaker was just looking at his friend and going, what's what's up with you? Um, he says that this was um, one of the very first times that he heard the gospel um, and it's good news and nothing else. And uh, just the, the fact that Jesus loves you regardless of what you've done. Um, Brennan Manning is uh, a decent writer. The book, Ragamuffin Gospel, just I need to qualify it by saying that um, 
the theology may not be the best, but the main message is that you are loved unconditionally um, and you are loved even if you're ragamuffin. And this title, ragamuffin, was something that Rich Mullins carried for the rest of his life. A ragamuffin is this kind of piddly, dirty, scroungy guy that doesn't have it all together, but he's still limping along. And that's what he viewed himself as. And God loves ragamuffins. And um, he developed this lifelong friendship with Brennan Manning, this this author and this um former uh, Catholic priest. Um, so he continued to live his quirky ways. He never, he never, uh, you know, as, as a songwriter, if you have people sing your songs, if you have churches singing your songs, if you have your songs played on the radio, you can earn a decent amount of money. Um, Rich Mullins never knew how much money he made because he told his accountant, just give me what the average American makes, which during that time was maybe in the low 30,000s. Um, he probably earned millions, but he he lived on um, maybe thirty thousand um, dollars. He said, "Just everything else, just give it away, because I don't want to know how much money I earn." Because his philosophy was, um, if the love of money is really the root of all evil, then let me get rid of as much of that as I can. Um, so he lived very simply. He lived with friends. He stayed in people's attics. He never had a home of his own. If you look at, if you watch concert footage. Um, He's dressed in a t-shirt and ripped jeans, really unfashionable clothing, but that's who he was. Um, and then in the uh, in the mid '90s, as he was going through some of his, uh, as he was going through uh, his music, as he was uh, putting together a record, one of his friends said, "Hey, you know, like we've got this opportunity to uh, minister at an Indian reservation." And he, his friend said, I know that you're busy, but um, you should consider it. Rich Mullins, without stopping, he said, yes, I'm going to do it. So he kind of walked away from all his uh, music. Well, he still, he still toured. He still recorded music. But he uh, went to live on an Indian reservation. And this, he loved this. This brought so much life to him. Um, and he said, this is, where, this is who I want to be with. And he actually... Because he wanted to teach music at this Indian reservation, he actually went back to school um, to earn his degree. Um, and so this this is how much how committed he was to his um, Indian friends. He eventually uh, he he put more put out more music, but then um, in 1997 he was in a car accident, and then his jeep flipped over. He flew out of the jeep, a truck hit him, and he died. And this was in 1997. And I remember the day that he died. I was, this was back in the day of the dial-up modem. You guys remember that? And I, I went, this was on a Sunday um, before church. I went online and I saw Rich Mullins died. And um, I was I was sad. Um, a lot of people were really sad. Um, but he left behind such a rich legacy of music and thoughts and words. And um, he died, uh his friends say that when they collected all his belongings, um, everything fit on the foot of a seven by ten truck. So it was um, this guy who had who was so famous, who earned, who made so much money. Um, he never knew how much money he made. At the end of his life, everything that he owned fit in the back of a truck. Um, this this was Rich Mullins, and he lived his life unlike anyone else around him. So that's his life. Um, there's so much more. I should also say 
that he was not only was he very broken uh, because he was broken by his relationship with his father and this broken engagement with his his girlfriend. Um, he was also kind of a jerk. Um, the people that knew him best, they would acknowledge that, yeah, he was not nice. He was very demanding of the, of them. He was, um, he would demand that they stay with him when he was sad. They would, he would demand that they, they travel with him so that he could not be alone. Um, uh, in his moments of humanness, he was, uh, very much like us because, I know that I can be a jerk. Um, I'm guessing that all of us have moments where we're not as pleasant as well. So what we're going to do is, um, that's his life in a very, very small nutshell. I'm going to talk a little bit more, provide some commentary, but I really want to get into his own words and his own um, his own music. So first off, let me play a... Uh, I'm going to play... Uh, some some uh, interview clips of him. So we're going to talk about the Bible and the church, and we'll talk about how he viewed the Bible and the church. So this is Rich Mullins talking about uh, the Bible. 20 The Countdown magazine remembers Rich Mullins. This is actually a quote on the Bible right here. The Bible is not a book for the faint of heart. It is a book full of all the greed and glory and violence and tenderness and sex and betrayal that benefits mankind. It is not the collection of pretty little anecdotes mouthed by pious little church mice. It does not so much nibble at our shoe as it cuts to the heart and splits the marrow from bone to bone. It does not give us answers fitted to our smaller-minded questions, but truth that goes beyond what we even know to ask. I, I don't think you read the Bible to know truth. I think you read the Bible to find God. That we encounter Him there. That, um, and I love, Paul calls, uh, Paul says that the scriptures are God's breath. Mm-hmm. And I kind of go, wow. So let's, uh, let's breathe this as deeply as possible. And this is what liturgy offers that that all the razzmatazz of, of our modern worship can't touch. It doesn't. You don't go home from church going, "Oh, I'm just moved to tears." You go home from church going, "Wow, I just took communion." And you know what? If if Augustine were alive today, he would have had it with me, and maybe he is, and maybe he did. All right, so. Um some some good thoughts there. Uh, he loved the Bible, and he, Rich Mullins loved the church. So, you know, um, now, if you, if you guys uh, go on YouTube and just type in some worship songs, you might watch some live versions of people singing their songs, and um, the audience, they're really into it, and uh, they're like, oh, we're at church, and this is a big, fancy production, and if you've ever gone to maybe like a like a worship concert, it, it feels awesome. It feels great, right? It's very emotive. Um, and Rich Mullins, because he was he he was in concerts like this, he would tell his audience, you know what? If you guys really want to be fed, don't come to stuff like this. If you want to be fed, go to church because this is where people know you. This is where people love you. Um, it may not be fancy, but the church, when we because only the church can can administer the sacraments, only the church can preach the word. 
Um, and when we are a part of the church, we become a part of something that's so much bigger than us. So let me go through um, his, some of his quotes on the church. Wait, I'm sorry. Did he write this part? He wrote that, yeah. He wrote that? Yeah. But then just now that he, was not yes. his voice, but then the other one was his voice. Yeah. So the guy that, that um, has a weird voice, that's Rich Mullins. Okay. Um, so, uh, so this is him on the church. So let me read this first quote. I never understood why going to church made you a hypocrite because nobody goes to church because they're perfect. If you've got it all together, you don't need to go. You can go jogging with all the other perfect people on Sunday morning. Every time you go to church, you're confessing again to yourself, to your family, to the people you pass on the way there, the people who will greet you there, that you don't have it all together, and that you need their support, you need their direction, you need some accountability, you need help. This is um, Rich Mullins. He, he grew up um, in a Quaker church, and then as he as he continued to live, he, he went to a lot of different churches. But um, he always said, you know, you don't go to church because you've got it together. If you're messed up, then you should go to church. You need to admit that you are a hypocrite. Everyone is, an, is a hypocrite. Uh, Christians, they just have a label that people somehow think that you should be perfect. But go to church, be fed there. And when you are, you are part of this, something that's so much bigger than yourselves. So that's, um, that's Rich Mullins. And there, man... I wanted, I wish this were like three classes so I could play for you all these songs that are, um, that, that speak to what he's saying, but for the sake of time, we're not going to be able to. But, um, yeah, I'm gonna leave it at that just, uh, for the sake of time. Let me move on to, uh, let me play you one of his songs, and this is a song called The Color Green, one of my favorite Rich Mullen songs, and, uh, one, it, he just, it's him, Meditating on the fact that God created the color green. Um, if you guys think about it, there's no reason why colors need to exist. There's no reason why beauty needs to exist. But God creates beauty for the sake of his own glory, but also for our sake as well. Um, and we respond to God when we see the color green in worship. So um, the lyrics are on your on the second sheet. You can follow along there.
And the wrens have returned in their nesting In the hollow of that oak Where his heart once again He lifts up his arms in a blessing For being born again There's actually like a, another musical crescendo that really makes the song, <laughs> um, but the words are all over. But um, man, look at those lyrics. If you listen to Christian radio today, who writes like this? There's no one. Um, or there's a, actually a couple people. I can recommend those people to you later. But for the most part, like no one during this time, this was like, like even now, I've probably listened to this song several hundred times and it just blows me away how beautiful it is. Um, okay, this, uh, I'm sorry this lesson is a little bit disjointed just because I want to make sure that I go through everything, but, um, let me, let's listen to some more words of Rich Mullins. Here he is talking about himself or just how we view ourselves. Yeah, and especially in a day when so much emphasis and so much pressure is put on us to esteem ourselves. I kind of go, wow, I I don't know how anyone can wake up with morning breath and pillow head and feel any self-esteem. That is not the sort of a thing I want to put my faith in. Yeah. I uh, and in the church, it's it's unbelievable to me that that this whole foolishness about esteeming yourself has leaked into the church. I kind of go, Christ didn't ask us to esteem ourselves. I think if if Christ were asked, I think he would probably say, "Look, buddy, you'd be lucky if you could forget yourself. If you could lose yourself, you'd be luckier than if you found yourself." It would be wonderful if you knew the names of the trees between your house and and where you were, between your house and your church. If you knew that that was a tulip tree and you knew that that was a red bud. It would be great if you knew the names of the constellations. It would be great if you you knew something about your neighbors. It would be a lucky thing for you if you forgot yourself, if you lost yourself. You know, I remember when my brother and his fiancée, one time we were eating a meal and and it was absolutely sickening because we're, we're trying to eat here. And they're staring each other in the eyes. I'm just kind of going, holy, can you not wait until football? You know, this is, 
And then I realized, wow, what a terrific thing if when you're so in love that you forget how obnoxious love looks to everybody else. <laughs> how I wish we were all French. Although I really appreciate modesty and I, I detest public displays. But um, nevertheless, what a wonderful thing when you are so caught up in a moment, when you are so lost in an experience that you forget to straighten your tie or to comb your hair. Why esteem yourself? Forget yourself. You're have a lot more fun. Yeah. If you guys have ever read the book, um, what's a Tim Keller? It's a small pamphlet, The Gift of Self-Forgetfulness or something like that. Um, if you guys have ever noticed that some of the greatest times in your own lives are when you forget that you exist, you're watching or you're experiencing something so grand and huge, you're, you're thinking, I really am nothing and I'm totally fine with that. Um, I think that's what he's talking about here. Um, let's continue on. So let's look at um, this back page on relationships. So I mentioned that he had um, a broken relationship, a broken engagement, and um, this he eventually got to peace with it. Um, but he knew what human frailty was. He knew that we're all sinners. He knew that we can't fulfill each other completely as we should. I'm just going to read um, um, one of these quotes here. So... Uh, I'll, we'll look at the third quote on relationships. I think that part of being human is being alone and being lonely. I think one of the stresses on a lot of our friendships is that we're, we require the people we love to take away that loneliness, and they really can't. And so when we still feel lonely, even in the company of people we love, we become angry with them because they don't do what we think they're supposed to do, which is really something that they can't do for us. He... Uh, wrote a great song about human relationships called We Are Not As Strong As We Think We Are. And you can look at the lyrics as I play the song. So few inches apart, we must be awfully 
Probably as close as a love song that Rich Mullins ever wrote. These words, we are frail, we're fearfully and wonderfully made, forged in the fires of human passion, choking on the fumes of selfish rage. And that is our relationship with everyone is we are selfish people and we need to recognize that, that we're never going to be able to get from our friends or our family exactly what we want. Um, only God can do that. So uh, that is... Yeah, uh, that, that, that's, we are not as strong as we think we are. It speaks to who we are as human beings. Um, so let me play you a few more um, clips of his, uh, of his talking, and um, we'll listen to maybe one more song, one or two more songs, depending on time. I remember reading a thing that Picasso once said. I, I like to read what famous artists have to say because I can barely... I'm barely able to look at their paintings without going into a coma trying to figure out what it's about. But he said this one thing that I really did like. He said uh, that uh, good taste was the enemy of great art, which I think is very, very true. Good taste has all to do with being cultured and being refined. And if art has to do with anything, it has to be, do with being human. And one of the reasons I love the Bible is because the, the humans in the Bible are not very refined. They're uh, pretty goofy if you want to know the whole truth about it. And I remember when I was a kid and people would always say, uh, you know, because I was one of those typical depressed adolescent types. I wrote poetry and stuff. That's how morose I was as a kid. And people would go around saying, oh, cheer up, man, because God loves you. And I'd always say, big deal. God loves everybody. That don't make me special. That just proves that God ain't got no taste. And I don't think he does. Thank God. Because God takes the junk of our lives. And he makes the greatest art in the world out of it. And if he was cultured, if he was as civilized as most Christian people wish he was, he would be useless to Christianity. But God is a wild man. And uh, I hope that uh, the course of your life you encounter him. But let me warn you, you need to hang on for dear life. Or let go for dear life. Maybe it's better. Uh, 
prayer for you, and you're welcome to sing it along with us. Um, that's a quote from one of his concerts, and then I'm going to play one more clip from, this is one of his final concerts. He died in 1997. I, I believe this next clip was uh, recorded in August or July of 1997, so just a month or two before his death. It's ta- it talks about feeling close to God. Everyone wants to feel close to God, right? Um, this is what he has to say about that. I'm all the time being asked by people, how do you feel closer to God? I kind of always want to say is, I don't know. When I read the lives of most of the great saints, they didn't necessarily feel very close to God. When I read the Psalms, I get the feeling like David and the other psalmists felt quite far away from God for most of the time. Closeness to God is not about feelings. Closeness to God is about obedience. It's just as simple as that. I don't know how you feel close to God. And no one I know that seems to be close to God knows anything about those feelings either. I know if we obey occasionally, the feeling follows. Not always, but occasionally. I know if we disobey, we don't have a shot at it. Jesus uh, I th- this is something that was very real to Rich Mullins. He didn't always feel close to God, and I think if many of us are honest, we don't always feel close to God either. Um, one of his songs that has impacted me the most is, I was, um, in college, uh, I struggled with loneliness a lot. Um, I felt it strongly. Um, and his song, Hard to Get, which I have printed for you, um, talks about that, and it talks about, you know, the reality that many of us are not going to get Jesus all the time. We're not going to understand him. We're not going to get understand what God is doing in our lives. But um, somehow he's there. Um, he, he His last project was um, something called the Jesus Project. And he um, was... He, he wanted to record some songs, and his friend said, oh, we've got this recording studio, why don't you record your demos? And he said, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. He went to Kmart, and he bought this like $15 tape recorder. He went to an old church, and he just recorded himself on terrible quality tape. So what you're going to hear next is this song, um, one of his last recordings. It's, it sounds really bad um, because he didn't bother to get the fancy equipment that most musicians would get. This was recorded on a Kmart recorder. But um, it's, I, I, th- I think, one of his most um, profound songs. Uh, hard to get, right here. You live in heaven, hear the prayers of those of us who live on earth, who are afraid of being left by those we love. Who get hardened in the
Yeah, this is a, a prayer that I've p- prayed many times. Just, I don't know what to say, so I'm gonna, I'll pray the songs of Rich Mullins. Uh, I'm gonna play for you one more clip, and, uh, we'll end, actually, I think we have time. If, do you guys mind saying like five more minutes? Um, we, I'll, I'll read for you, um, or I'll just point out this section on his songs.
Um, and you can read what he says has to say about his songs. He felt like... Uh, well, you can read it. And uh, I have the lyrics to Hold Me Jesus here. So I'm going to play for you one last clip, which is going to segue into Hold Me Jesus, and then we'll end. In, the ter- in, in terms of the, the scope of eternity, um, I really believe that we are dust. I really believe that I will someday be dead, no matter how good my songs are. Uh, someday I will decay, I will rot, and there will be nothing left. And um, an old recording of Our God is an Awesome God. Someday, because I write pop music, it's all very disposable. I, I, I really would be, I think everyone will be surprised 20 years from now that that song will have completely fallen out of use. Um, I would not be surprised 20 years from now to hear Awesome God sung in our church. Either way you go. Okay. Um, in, in, in terms of eternity, um, uh, those people who did the greatest things for God were the people who weren't trying to do anything at all. They were just simply being obedient. And, and those um, are the people God can use. And those are the people that God can use. And I want to be one of them. And if God should use me, that would be great. But if he doesn't, there's a very interesting thing you can do in the Gospel of Mark or in any of the four Gospels. You go through the Gospels and you say, what people are absolutely essential to this story? Not that some... I mean, like, okay, so Mary is essential to the story because Mary had to give birth to Jesus. And you could say, well, someone else could have. But let's say that if she wouldn't have done it, then the story wouldn't have happened. So you have God who chose to become flesh. You have Mary who gave him flesh. You have Jesus, who was God in the flesh, um, or who was the, the child of Mary and God. You have Pontius Pilate, who who had, in an artificial sense, the power to kill Christ. You have Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Christ and handed him over uh, to the bad guys. You have whoever it was that nailed him up to the cross. Out of those people that God used to accomplish his will in the gospel... Um, only a couple of them were very nice people. Most of them were bad people. We all want to be useful to God. Well, it's no big deal. God can use anybody. God used Nebuchadnezzar. Mm-hmm. God used Judas Iscariot. It's uh, not a big deal to be used by God. And the shocking thing in the book of Mark, and the reason why it's so shocking is because Mark is the briefest of all the Gospels, but he has these terrific little details. And one of the little details is it says, And Christ called, or Jesus called to him those that he wanted. And you realize that out of the 12 people that he wanted, only one was essential to his goal in coming to earth. The other 11 people were useless to Christ, but they were wanted by Christ. And I kind of go, I would much rather have God want me than have God use me. 20 The Countdown Magazine remembers Rich All right, Holland. this is the last song. Um, there's right here. When the mountains look so big, all my faith just seems so small. So hold me, Jesus, cause I'm shaking like a leaf. You're the king of my glory, won't you be my prince of peace? Inside my soul, I swear there must be blisters on my door. 
All right. Um, so that's Rich Mullins, Mel. I know we don't have a lot of time. I'm yeah. ask a question here and make you guys quick answer. Sure. I did not understand what he meant by the, love, uh, love, the other 11 apostles were useless. Does that mean they could have been replaced by anybody? I who, think so. Who so, was the one apostle he said was not useless? Uh, Judas Iscariot. Yeah. That's what he meant, that, that's what he meant yeah. Um, this is a very brief introduction to Rich Mullins. You can find his stuff online. Um, kidbrothers.net you'll find a lot of articles about him and his music um, I hope this uh, Christine did you the interview is also accessible right? the interview is also accessible it's um, so good I it, highly recommend you listen to the whole I'll thing. post it on the IGC family page um, but uh, yeah there's um, actually if you guys are interested I have a, a DVD uh, movie of his life it's not very good but if you're interested in, uh, <laughs> it's, it's just called Ragamuffin um, I have they're like books. Um, if you want, if you want to borrow CDs, let me know. Um, so I hope uh, you get get a little sense of how he was, and um, he's been kind of a hero to me. Um, how I view God and Jesus, and he's really shaped that. So um, I hope that you find someone like that in your life as well. Let me pray. Uh, God, thank you so much for the life of Rich Mullins, but thank you way more than the life of Rich Mullins. Thank you for the life of Jesus, who has. Uh, love Rich Mullins and loves us, God, and I pray that you would give us a deeper love for uh, Jesus. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, let me read you one last quote by Rich Mullins. So go out and live real good, and I promise you'll get beat up real bad. But in a little while after you're dead, you'll be rotted away anyway. It's not going to matter if you have a few scars. It will matter if you didn't live. So may we all live well and get beat up very well.